Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me, Raquel, and my friend Antoinette Gross on another chat. So the last time that we were together, we were speaking about the prodigal son and his return and what the implications of that meant. As a tangent off of that conversation, we had remarked on his repentance and the type of repentance that it took. From this, from the viewpoint of Luke 15, the only thing that we really see is a moment of repentance. But repentance is more than just a moment. So Annie and I would like to discuss what a lifestyle of repentance means and what it looks like and share a couple of stories with you. So with that, I will ask Anne to lead us in prayer. Um, good morning, uh, Father God. Thank you so much for um, this moment in time for us to be honest and transparent before you first and before others. We thank you so much for your um, forgiveness and your long suffering and your love towards us. And we pray to have a heart that that's um, a heart like that towards others. Um, Father, as we talk about repentance, help us um, to be honest. Um, but Lord, we just ask, um, Holy Spirit, that you would um, guide our words. We don't want to give any glory to the enemy. We don't want to give too much attention to our sin. But Lord, we want to focus on how you have saved us from the muck and mire of our sin. Help us to be um, honest with one another so that we can lift up each other in prayer where we are still falling short or have the scars of have fallen um, short in the past. And so Lord, we just know that you're a balm, you are healing um, for our wounds. You are um, the perfecter and the author and finisher of our faith. And so we just submit ourselves unto you this morning um, to perfect those things that you have started within us so that it may bear fruit and that we can actually be an example unto our families and even unto our community and ultimately give you all the glory. We give you all the glory and all the honor in Jesus name. Amen. 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 So one of the things that I had mentioned in our last conversation, when the prodigal son returns, um, he does repent to his father. But uh, if the repentance is true, one of the things that I would assume is that later on after this party that he has rejoined the family, he is going to have another conversation with his brother. Um, and I find that in my own life, um, after I have repented to God for my disobedience, I have had to, God has prompted me, provoked me to repent to others that I have hurt. Um, and I'll ask you to jump in. How has uh, repentance started and, and flowed through you? Um, there's a lot of Apologies are very difficult. Let, let me just say this. I think that um, when you truly apologize and you take ownership, 
without the, I'm sorry, but I did this because <laughs> that follows, because that's not really a true apology, right? That's a reason, you're, you're providing a reason. But when you apologize and you say, I'm sorry, I take ownership of this. Um, there's always the, the risk of someone not forgiving you. Mm. There's always the, um, there's always the possibility of that person not wanting to reconcile with you. Your yeah. apology does not guarantee the other person's forgiveness or reconciliation. And it does, and it does not excuse you from not offering the apology. There are a lot of friendships and a lot of relationships that once I came to repentance, um, one person in particular, I was in a um, friendship with a young lady in college that turned into a very uh, twisted relationship. Mm. I knew what my sexual orientation was and what I was, where I wasn't willing to go. Um, and having that conversation with her and having drawn that line, the, the betrayal she felt because I did not present myself as I should have from the beginning, right? Um, and I wasn't walking out what I should have walked out from the beginning. So even though she may not have been a quote unquote believer or walking in, in, in a path of godliness, it was still a hurt. I still hurt another person. I still damaged another person. And I don't even know if my actions might have turned her away from the Lord. It sure enough didn't push her towards him, right? So my apology and my, my honesty, though it was necessary and though it was um, something that should have never even got to that point. There was, she didn't forgive me. Mm. There was no, there was no, well, let's, you know, let's start over. Show me your God, show me your belief. There was none of that. There was no kumbaya moment, but it was, <laughs> but it was still necessary because of the sin that I neglected to address, ignored, you know what I'm saying? And the list goes on, right? Um, and so the thing that we need to understand about apologies is that it's not a guarantee that it's going to make what you did wrong all of a sudden right. It puts you, the, the, the repentance puts you in a position to get right with God. Man has their own choice on how they're going to deal with you. I love that you made that point. Um, in the prodigal story that we just finished analyzing, the older son, the older brother, had an issue with the father killing a fatted calf and creating a celebration for someone that he deemed that wasn't worthy. Um, hopefully, after his father's words, it provoked his son to 
look at it from a different perspective and hopefully correct his heart, but we don't know. That's kind of left up in the air. And I kind of like that it's left up in the air because so many sermons could be created out of that. Either the son reflected on it and adjusted his attitude or he didn't. And more than likely, if he didn't, when his brother, his younger brother will come to him and repent, he may be rejected. And it's sad because in reality, it's probably one of the reasons why apologies are not as freely given in Mm -hmm. our society and culture because if if it's going to be number one rejected but worse i've even seen apologies weaponized Mm. you know what thank you for admitting that you are wrong and now i can poo poo all over you now i'm not talking about because uh, again i I know that there's somebody out there that's going to say well not every apology is sincere And that's true. But then there are people that will come to you in sincere lament, will sincerely want to change, and we will reject them wholeheartedly and then use that as a way to demean them, to treat them badly, Mm -hmm. uh, or to keep them in in a state of shame. And that's not why God has created repentance, you know, repentance is for us, of course, number one, to align ourselves, as you said, with God, and then, of course, with our brother. Um, But what I would like to focus on in this conversation is this vertical first, because when it's so many times I've heard you say it when the vertical is fixed, when the relationship with, with God is, is correct, then the horizontal will work, (laughs) will work a little bit better. And so I find that repentance with God is so utterly necessary as a daily matter of fact, every minute in my own life, I am constantly scrutinizing my motives, my intentions, my behaviors. I'm constantly scrutinized and I'm constantly asking God, did I do that the right way? Is that correct? Uh, Are my motives pure? And I find that to be so necessary. And I keep myself open for that adjustment. And it has helped me tremendously. What has, uh, how has God revealed repentance to you? Um, Well, I would like to focus a little bit on David and 1 Chronicles 21. He does something that on the surface seems like common sense. And I relate to this because on the surface, I do a lot of things that make sense to the world or even to some believers. It just makes sense, right? Um, But it's not what I'm called to. 
or it's not what is required of God from me at that moment. And um, one of the struggles that I had and I still struggle with is I not recognize when God is moving or not recognizing when God is asking me to stay still. And so then I will create a game plan, right? And, and go forward, right? right? Um, and so I got into a cycle of constantly telling the Lord, I'm sorry, I thought that promotion was a good idea. I'm sorry, I thought that investment was a good idea. I'm sorry, and, and, and here's the thing. Unfortunately, when we don't understand God's permissive will and his perfect will, we could be living under what's permissible, right? Mm. We can we can mean doing a lot of that's actually sinful, right? Right? It's permissible. It's okay, but it's not beneficial for the calling that we have in our life. And so I find myself stuck sometimes in a cycle of, well, it seems to be a blessing right now, but it's causing damage on the other end. And so in First Chronicles, the first verse says that Satan provoked David. And I think what we need to understand is that the enemy is not on our side. The world is not on your side. The, the TikTok trends are not on your side. That's right. You know what I'm saying? Like, it ain't on your side. Can you enjoy Can you, can you enjoy YouTube videos? I do. Can you enjoy a lot of things? Yes. But when it starts to cut into your purpose, you have to recognize when it ain't on your side. Yeah. Right? Yep. So David, the enemy provokes David and David says, you know what? I'm going to number the people. I'm going to see how good, how, how great and how strong Israel is. On the surface, that makes sense. He's a commander of an army and a ruler of a nation. You should know how many citizens you have. Mm-hmm. Right? That makes yep. sense. Yep, it does. But then David goes and he has an advisor that says to him, Joab says, you know what? This don't sound like a good idea. <laughs> God increases and God decreases. God has been with you this whole time. I think you should leave this alone. David rejects godly advice. And that's where I want to highlight. A lot of times people, I have created a persona and an atmosphere where it is where people cannot tell me the truth or don't, or don't feel free to tell me the truth. That's a dangerous place to be. Because the first thing that Psalm says is don't sit in the seat of the ungodly. Don't take ungodly advice. Right. And here David can't recognize godly advice. Mm. And on the flip side of that, when you're that friend that knows what's right, like the example that I brought up earlier, knowing what's right and just letting it continue. And then by the time you give the advice, the person is in a spiral or you're in a spiral or now you're in a position that you got to, oh, wait, I need a way of escape. Right. That also causes damage. So here Joab is giving him godly advice. David rejects the godly advice and then sends Joab out to do what was laid in his heart to do. So now Joab is wrapped up in his mess. And this is the thing that, that, that we have to understand or I have come to understand that even in my process of repentance, my sin has affected other people around me. 
And the process of repentance also affects other people around me. You want to talk about that older brother? You coming back and all of this, we got to organize a party. That affects me. That's my time, my resources, my dad's time, the community. Everybody got to rally. It affects people around you. And though people may want to be lovingly um, there for you, it still is a resource, right? And so now we get to uh, verse eight. He does this thing and he realizes that he sins. And now he has to acknowledge the sin. And I don't know about you, Rock, but the acknowledgement of sin is an emotional journey that, that is so difficult for me. The acknowledgement of sin, it's the fighting the spirit of depression. It's the fighting the spirit of unworthiness. It's the fighting the spirit of guilt. It's fighting the spirit of, you know what I mean, of inadequacy. All of these things now come with disobedience. Rebecca, my daughter, has a saying, one spirit comes with friends. And so in this process of repentance, you now have not only the sin that you committed, but the the friends that it brings along with it, the baggage that comes along with it. You know what I'm saying? How do you feel about that? And as you were speaking, it was bringing to mind Romans. And Paul talks about two natures that we have. Mm -hmm. He talks about uh, the sin from nature that we inherited through Adam. And then through Christ, we inherit his holy nature. Mm -hmm. And as, as you were speaking and you were saying that it's so emotional to really recognize what we what we have as a condition that's sin. Um, we don't want to, we're so, we are, especially in this age of self-help and self-awareness and be your best self and discover your potential and live out your potential and be the best you. We have constantly all around us a whole bunch of messages saying it's you're great you're awesome you're wonderful and that your flesh eats that up your flesh eats it up who doesn't want to hear that message but the word of god is very peculiar the word of god is saying oh oh no you got a problem and it's (laughs) it's deep (laughs) it's deep and and the lord brought as i was thinking about this this topic that we were going to tackle, the Lord brought to my mind, my father and my father's condition. My father is a prostate cancer uh, patient. He is on a life uh, long therapy treatment. He's been in, in treatment probably for about 10 years, if not more. And he has a condition and it's prostate cancer. And thankfully, uh, thank God that he his cancer is very well managed by his doctors and it has very um, little impact on his life as what it could be if it wasn't treated. But one of the things that the Lord brought to my mind was how every month my father has to submit himself to going to the hospital. When he goes to the hospital, they run a couple of tests and then depending on the results of those tests will determine the course of therapy and the dosage of the treatments that he has to get. And he has to do this every month. Because my father has submitted 
to this has understood that he has a condition. He understands that he is he he himself cannot heal this condition, that he needs help. He submits to the hospital. He submits to his to the care of his oncologist, and he receives treatment. And this treatment has helped him to extend his life. And as I was thinking about that, the Lord just said to me, you know, you you are on a lifelong therapy treatment. Because the sin condition, if you look in Romans, it's not going away. We now, with the inherited nature of Christ, we now have a weapon against that nature. Now we have something to combat it. Now that now our full potential in sin does not have to be realized. Now we have another potential in Christ that can be realized. And one of the things that God told me is that, guess what? When you just understand that you have to submit to this lifelong therapy, you are free not to have to be under the weight of guilt and shame because you're submitted to the therapy and I am your therapy. And that's how God has treated me. Like now I don't have to walk around every time that I do something wrong. Yes, I am convicted and I thank God for a conviction. Yes, I feel lament in my heart and I thank God for that because these are the things that provoke repentance. Mm -hmm. But because... I know that I am submitted to a lifelong therapy treatment to the great physician who is God, who is Yahweh, who is Jehovah, who is Jesus Christ. Because I am submitted to my great physician, I don't have to carry around the guilt and the shame because I know that all I have to do is go to him, submit myself to the therapy. And part of that therapy is reading the word of God, Mm -hmm. praying, allowing God to speak to me and intentionally changing those things that God has called me to change. Mm -hmm. I, um, I like what you said, intentionally changing the things that God has called, called you to change. So I had to change my circle of friends. I had to change how I received godly counsel. Yeah. I had to change where I decided to hang out. Yeah. I had to change how I decided to drink or not drink. I had to change how I decided to dress or not dress. I had to acknowledge my sin. I had to apologize to those who were tried to warn me. You and I have had many of those conversations. Yeah. I had to apologize to my mom and my dad when he was alive. Before he died, we had that conversation. Um, my children, Hmm. because, you know, a lot of times we don't talk about the consequence of our sin here. David now, after he acknowledges his sin, there's still consequence that, Oh, I've repented. I said, I'm sorry. Everything is cool. And God is like, nah, there's consequence because the wages of sin is death. Death. And what has done what Christ has done is he's protected us from dying, but that doesn't mean you ain't got no wounds now. Amen. The arrow may not have gone all the way through, but it did pierce. Amen. So 
David now has this consequence of this sin that he's committed, right? And now there's a price. He has to pay for the thrashing floor. He has to slaughter all of these animals. And guess what? The, the part that grieves me the most about this story and grieves me, I guess, the most when I look back at my life, all those people that died because of his mistake, all those people that are affected because of the sin that we, we create. And this is not to make you feel like there's no hope. But after this, and after David does this, God moves on his behalf. Mm. When you decide, when you decide to truly repent, even with the great cost of sin, God will move on your behalf. He moves on David's behalf. And even with the loss that Israel sustained with the army, they still were victorious in the coming battles. Mm. Even with the loss of your sin, God will make you victorious if you truly repent. Those other people that may not have forgiven you, that's their choice. Yep. He'll still make you great. Yep. Those people that you have to lose relationship with, I'm sorry, I know it hurts, but God, the Holy Spirit has a power that will redeem them. If, if you were the stumbling block, the Lord will pluck them up and say, hey, that was a stumbling block. Let me put you here and get you back on the right track while he's getting you on the right track. He's not a single-minded God. He's not a single-minded father that if he saves you, everybody else is lost. Or if he saves everybody else, you're lost. He can do both things at the same time. And that was the thing that I loved about repentance was that even though it cost others, it cost me, it came with friends, there was a sacrifice, there was consequences that God, even in that he stepped in and redeemed me, redeemed the time, saved those others that I was a stumbling block to and brought increase because of the humility. Amen. And that's the thing that we can celebrate when we repent, that it's not all lost. It's not all lost for nothing. There's a celebration. And that brings us back to the prodigal son and the father. That's why the party happened. Uh, when you first start there, there's something that I, I, I wanted to touch on a little bit briefly, because especially in this feel good society, <laughs> that we that we live in and i think that we really do not know how to cope and use the feelings that god has given us because god has given us our feelings and unfortunately these feelings dominate us instead of us dominating them and we also don't know how to put feelings in context and in perspective and how to use them the way that God intended us to use them. And when you first started speaking, you were saying, oh, I, and I don't want you to feel as if. And it's so sad to me that we have become such lightweight Christians, that we don't know how to use our negative emotions. Because in reality, if you look at the word of God, especially um, the Old Testament saints, when they sinned against God, or if they thought they sinned against God, or if they thought that they were receiving judgment of, uh, of God against them, if they 
if they were in a negative emotion, a lot of them, they say that they would rip their clothes, they would put on sackcloth right. and throw ashes on themselves. Right. And then it would provoke them right. to pray. Like, God, did I do something? And one of the most perfect examples of this is, is Job. Job. Job was actually living all that he could for the, for, for the Lord as, as, as much as he knew how he was trying to live for God. And when all of these negative things started happening to him, he was feeling some kind of way, as we like to say. <laughs> he was feeling some kind of way. Love it. <laughs> he was so distressed. Right. But he was, I love the way that he responded. Mm-hmm. He just ripped off his clothes, threw, threw uh, ashes on himself, and he just sat and he was just like, I got to think. I have to meditate. What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? What did I not do? What did I not complete? And that wasn't, you know, as we read the book of Job, that wasn't really, uh, God wasn't talking about his, his motivation. There were other things that Job learned, but it only happened because he sat down to have a conversation with God. And so God wasn't, Job learned that it wasn't, because necessarily of what you did, I'm calling you to be tested. I'm calling you to be shaken. Yes, I acknowledge that you have been doing what you humanly can do to honor me, but this is not a question of judgment. This is a a question of testing, and I have the right to test you. I love that you bring up Job. It's an interesting story. It's one of my husband's favorite. I think it is Mike's favorite um passage but i love that you bring up job because the enemy asked about him job is up in here giving sacrifices standing in the gap for his kids you know what i'm saying like they're having a birthday party when all of this kicks off right mm-hmm. and so job though seemingly to us was righteous And God even says, have you considered him? He's doing really good. When he sits, to your point, when he sits and he thinks and he starts to list the things that he's done right, kind of like the older brother syndrome, God says to him, okay, if you have so much glory, tell me where you were. When I did this, 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 and and that's when Job apologizes. Yes. We won't say anything else because I think what we have to understand that even if your sin is not faking the funk like I did when I was in college, drinking to the point of alcoholism, there's a reason why I say it that way. That's a conversation for another time. Um, Promiscuity. If your sin is not what I'm saying, visible, Job understood he had a self-righteous spirit. And he had to repent even for that. Yes. And so I think that when we talk about repentance, it's easy to focus on those things that are visible. But we also have to focus on those things that may seemingly look good on the outside. That self-righteous spirit. And Job sat and said, you know what? And when he did that, again, look at the example of God. He does that. He acknowledges the self-righteousness. And then God comes in and multiplies. Love it. Love it. 
Um, Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Mm. And um, we find out that Job is a righteous man, but uh, his righteousness even has limitation. It's even tainted in sin, which is the sin of self-righteousness. And this is one of the things that why it's so important for us to have a lifestyle of repentance because if you look at the word of God, when man sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, you went from picking and eating of a tree that you weren't supposed to eat of. And then in the very next generation, murder. And that's how <laughs> swift the mm -hmm. decline of sin is in our lives. People think it's just some steady slope downwards. And it can be that way. But sometimes it's it's from this altitude to rock bottom. And we have an enemy that the word of God says that he is roaming to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. And at any given time, he is studying us like double dutch. All right, where's my end? What can I provoke with this sin nature? How, how am I going to get in there? And he will find a way. So if he finds that good Christian that's doing everything that they're supposed to do, they're going to church, they're tithing, they're doing this, they're doing that. They are living for the Lord. They, they are walking in love. But let's be honest. When we get to that level where we pretty much the, the sins of the world that are like obvious and that we've cut them out. What Christian hasn't come to the conclusion like, I'm all right. I'm good. You better say that. You better say that. I'm all right. And we get to this complacent, Woo! complacent uh, stage where we're just like, okay, we got, I got this. I got this. Deuteronomy 8 verse 14. Do not forget the Lord thy God and do not become complacent. He's talking about the Israelites when they get wealth, but we can think about it also spiritually. We can get to the point where the alcohol don't draw us no more, the weed don't bother us no more, and you know, going to the club is not a thing anymore, and you don't want to cheat. You're, you're satisfied. You're content with your spouse. You're content in your marriage. Your kids are doing okay. You've come to acceptance that you can't control other people. You're good. I'm talking about me here. Um, and <laughs> right? And you sit back, and you become complacent. You, you start to say, I'm doing okay. Mm -hmm. I'm doing okay. And little by little, what the Lord has showed me is, baby girl, you scarcely making it in. Yeah. You scarcely making it in with your non, you know, as they used to say, I don't smoke and I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't hang with those that do. Back in the old days, they would say that in church. You still scarcely making it in because your heart, your heart, that the way you looked at that young lady in the grocery store and judged her, sin. Mm -hmm. when, you, when you thought you stubbed your toe and you almost cussed, but the words was in your mind, sin. Mm -hmm. That moment you went from zero to 100 and you did cuss, sin. Yep. That moment that you spoke down to your children and you said whatever because you were angry and you spoke a word over them and didn't repent for that word, sin. Yep. That moment you spoke over yourself a promise that was 
was not true, a lie that was not true. Instead of speaking the promise of God, sin, that moment you criticized, sin, that moment you did that little white lie, sin, all of these things that we have said, well, you know, I'm just human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just human. That I'm just human. You still got to repent for that because it's still flesh. Yes. Yes. Yep. Lifelong therapy. Lifelong therapy. And how many times, like even in the natural, we have seen where people, for example, a doctor will write you out a prescription and he says, all right, these antibiotics, you're going to take it for 20 days. Yeah. Don't stop. Take it for 15 because you start feeling better. Uh Right. Right. But what you don't know is that something might be suppressed, but not yet killed. You are preaching today. You are preaching today. (laughs) Tooth issue. Tooth issue. Dentist says, hey, I need you to take this penicillin for the whole time. The swelling went away. The bleeding went away. The pain went away. You stop taking it because you're no longer uncomfortable. Mm. Months later, that same tooth has an issue now, but worse. Mm. And see, and this is the thing. This is the thing about repentance. It's in the gospels. Please forgive me for not giving you the address. But the, the Christ, Jesus talks about this house that's been swept clean. Swept mm. clean. Mm. And he says, if you don't fill it with something, you don't fill it with something, then when this... The, the demons come back or the thieves come back, it's going to be seven times worse. That's how we are. If we don't fill ourselves up every day, right? My temper used to be zero to a hundred. Guess what? Now it could be zero to a thousand because I haven't put the Holy Spirit where that needs to be healed. Yes. And, and, it's an, and, and I love what you say. It's an everyday therapy. It's an everyday therapy. I acknowledge that I have made my life a complete and utter murky mess. Yes, me too. (laughs) A complete and utter mess. And because I sit before you guys today, showered and dressed, does not mean that I ain't got to go back and be like, you know what? I feel that rising up again. I feel that coming back again. I think we talked about this when we were talking about intimacy, about the images in our mind, mm-hmm. that they're forever there. Our, our brain are, is better than any computer that a man can create. Anything can trigger perfume, a song, a dance, a whatever. And I feel the flesh rising up again. Repent, turn, repent, turn. Every day in the moment we feel as though we're okay and we don't have to, and we're good because those things don't entice us anymore. Now you gotta check your internal motives. You gotta check your heart. You gotta check how you view yourself. Amen. Amen. When I was thinking about the the whys, so we already, um, we, we covered that we have a sin nature. We covered that there's an enemy seeking to destroy. Um, there's a what for, and repentance is about sanctification. There's a resubmission to the Lordship of Christ. And in Ezekiel, God talks about converting that heart of stone into a heart of flesh. 
-hmm. And that's what repentance does. It keeps your heart tender. And one of the things that if we look around for those of us that are spiritually awake, not spiritually perfect, but spiritually awake, there is a coldness of the human heart right now that is astronomical, where the love of a parent for their child has grown cold. People commit atrocities against their children and children likewise committing atrocities against their parents. And there is this human coldness, there's no human kindness anymore. Everybody is out for themselves. There's a selfishness that is that is just disgusting, that's just running rampant. And that's the sin nature in full display. Mm -hmm. It is a cold heart. It is cold to God and it is cold to the fellow man. But what repentance does for us is that it keeps our heart tender. It keeps our heart sensitive, sensitive that, yeah, we are going to experience negative emotions. For example, every time I sin against God, it's going to bother my heart. Right. Bother me. Mm -hmm. Every time I hurt my sister or my brother in Christ, it's going to bother me. Mm -hmm. It's going to bother me. And God wants, God needed a gauge for us to have so that when we're off that path, we have something, something uncomfortable to provoke us to stop. And if you got to spiritually rip your clothes off and throw ashes on yourself, you need to go before God and keep your heart tender because it's easy as Adam, Eve, Cain and Abel showed us to go from picking a fruit that you're not supposed to eat to literally killing each other, which is what we're doing. This is the society that we're living in where we are killing each other in cold blood mm -hmm. and we don't bat an eye. Mm -hmm. And it does. And, and we'll see somebody dead on the street or we'll see somebody hurting and we could just mm, keep on going, eat our sandwich, have our Starbucks and keep it moving. That's a, it's coldness. It's coldness. The dissonance that we have created cognitively is outstanding. Um, but there's also, and I want to address this, this is in Revelation, when Christ is speaking to the churches. And he's talking to this church that I think is the church of Corinth, where it's like, you've done all of these amazing things. You know, um, but you forgot your first love. You mentioned motivation. And I just want to caution, and I say this because I say this to myself I am a works person. Mm. Hi, my name is Anne, and I am <laughs> addicted to works. Yeah. Um, I'm a works person. Well, we talked about that in the other podcast um, religion versus relationship. Works is easy for me. I was raised in a home that was structured. Do the dishes, do the da, 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 da. So I am addicted to getting gold stars. The Lord is not impressed. He's impressed with your heart condition. And you can, and I love that you brought this up. You can have a stone heart and do, and do the mission trip yes. and feed the homeless and take in the, 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 you know, take in the widows 
and do the soup kitchen and be the pristine wife and be the great mom and do Bible study with your kids. And I'm gonna stop there because I like to use myself as an example. I used to wake my kids up at 5.30 every morning, do Bible study with them. And you know, this went on for years, right? And when, when our family was blended, Mike would wake them up and we do Bible study for them. One January, um, New Year's Day, January 1st, it was midnight, just hit the new year. At that time, I think Judah was 10, 10 or 11. And we were, we, we were doing Bible study and Judah said to me, he said, mommy, you're a good teacher. You teach about joy, but you don't embody it. I never forgot that. I never forgot wow. that because, because the fact of the matter is to anybody on the outside, all of that looked great. You haven't Bible study with the kids and pop, 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 pop. It was great. But when you, when, when somebody is close enough to tell you, you taught that, but I don't see you embody it. And that's what Christ was talking about in church. You doing all this good stuff. Your generosity is worldwide. It's known. It's amazing. It's good. But, but, and I am afraid of that rock. Yeah. I am afraid of you did good works, but and to and repentance shows you yourself. You can't repent until you see yourself. Yes. David didn't. It says when David realized his sin, that means he had to see himself. He had to see the pride he took. He had to see the rejection of counsel. He had to see all of that. I had to see myself. You know the word, but you ain't got no application. Yep. 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 Um, I'm so glad that you said it that way because I always uh, liken it to a Holy Ghost mirror. Mm. And in my mind, I see myself every time that I go to, to the Lord in prayer and do an introspection of me. It's like me standing in front of a mirror and me allowing God to point out those flaws. Today, today in the society that we live in, that is like unheard of. You're supposed to ignore flaws or celebrate them. Right. That's the culture that we live in today. Um this is not to throw shame at anyone, but it's a, it's a shame that, uh, and I'll just use this because it's, it's the one that's coming to my mind, but we're celebrating obesity when we know historically that obesity has heart health issues. Why are we celebrating? We don't need to fat shame her or him who's, over, who's struggling with their weight, but at the same time, we can't celebrate the problem. And so, <laughs> just to jump in, and and, and I love I love that you brought that up because um, I have very I'm curvy and my girls are curvy and you know it is what it is. Um, but one thing we have been very honest of in this house is that extra piece of cake is not necessary. There's no shaming. There's no shaming. There's no shame and telling the truth. And the world has told us that it, it's shameful to tell the truth. Yes. I'm not saying, it's your, it's your choice. If you wanna wear that, it's your choice. Back rolls and all, that's your choice. But the truth of the matter is you're overweight. 
Yep. I don't need to, I don't need to tease you for it. I don't need to abuse you about it, but that's the truth of the matter. But speaking truth now is, is being looked, looked down upon and they would rather hear a lie. It's the itchy ear syndrome. Yep. I would rather shame you for speaking the truth and embrace the lie. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. You have to understand that the Christian, as, as flawed as we are, but the mm-hmm. Christian that can act honestly stand in front of that Holy Ghost mirror and allow God to point out all of the things that are wrong, that person has an incredible amount of strength because it's not easy because all we want is to be celebrated all we want at work is for people to give us a pat on the shoulder like you did really good and all we want to hear is praise but when you have an attitude where you are consistently going before the creator and saying okay let's do this show me what's wrong and allowing God to dissect your every motive. And then you have to do the next incredible thing, which is to say, you right, God. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Not run away from it, which is what we, what we end up doing. Not run away from it. You now have to say yes. And then God gives a course of therapy. God says, you have to change this. You have to stop lying. You have to stop doing good things on the outside when you know you're trying to manipulate somebody to doing uh, something for you. You have to mm. stop pretending that you really have somebody's best interest at heart when it's really your own interest that you have at heart. You have to stop doing this. You have to stop lying on your taxes. You have to stop doing this or whatever it is that the Lord shows you. Because again, Jeremiah 17, nine, the more that I allow God to introspect my heart, I realize my motives are not as pure (laughs) as I really want them to be. Mm -hmm. But it takes the Holy Spirit inside of me to give me the strength and the stamina to stand in front of that mirror and say, Okay, God, I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna let you gonna let you point out all them flaws. And then I'm gonna let you pick out my therapy. I have to intentionally change this. I think that is a perfect point. And I think the cherry on top for that would be when we say David was a man after God's own heart, it didn't mean that he had a heart like God. It meant that he ran after God's heart. Yeah. David was fully flawed. He was a horrible dad. Wow. He, he was. He was a he was a horrible dad. He did not he did not defend his daughter Tamar. He allowed the sibling rivalry between two brothers and the the he was angry. Yeah, he showed emotion that he was mad about what happened to Tamar, but he didn't exercise the law and Absalom took it because of that. Absalom took it upon himself to exercise the law and he created bitterness, resentment and so forth and so on. Y'all go ahead and read about David. So he was a horrible father and he was a neglectful husband. Mm. On his deathbed, 
he has to be reminded of a promise that he made to Solomon, to Bathsheba, Solomon's mom. Hmm. He was a horrible friend. Like, I mean, you can't get no more worse than murdering your right-hand man just to sleep with his wife. Yes. So how can you, so we, so we can now agree, right? That David did not have the heart of God. We can nod our heads and agree that he did yeah. not have the heart of yeah. God. But what David understood was that every time Nathan came to him and said, this you, this mm. you, this you, this you, David could say, you know what? That's me. Yeah. I need God. Yeah. I need to change. I can sit here and say, was I an adulterer? Yep, that's me. Was I a fornicator? Yep, that's me. Was yep. I a drug abuser? Yeah, that was me. Was I, was I a miserable mom? Yep, that was me. Do yeah. I have anger issues? Yep, that's me. Can I be selfish? Yep, that's me. Do yep. I have a spirit of jealousy at times? Yep, that's me. That's yep. me. That's yep. me. Yep. But in acknowledging that, I don't get stuck there because God can, Amen. In, my in my repentance, God can say, but guess what? You, you have been redeemed. And so I've sent you your Boaz. You've been redeemed. You're no longer an adulterer. You're no longer an, a, a fornicator. Amen. You're no longer a thief because you give. You're Amen. no longer a thief. And in your temperament, I can use that passion because you're no longer lukewarm. You're hot. Amen. All of those things. You're no longer worldly beauty. You're made in my image. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God can tell you the truth when you put yourself in a spirit of repentance. He can, uh, he can take away the lies. He can take away the character that you build in the world and the character that you build in your flesh and replace it with the character that the Holy Spirit says that you earned and that you have a right to because of the blood of Christ. Amen. Amen. I love that. Um, we are fast coming upon our hour. <laughs> I think we have like maybe 10 minutes left. Um, I will say that um, for the where, um, obviously the word of God says that we need to renew our minds and we need to cleanse our heart. Um, that's what repentance is doing. Um and again, repentance is not so that God could beat you up. Repentance is so that God can administer therapy. So that we are provoked to look into the word. That we are provoked to stay away from sin, whether it's of the mind or of the hands. And really to complete the law of love because you can't love God and you can't love your fellow man if you're lying to yourself about your condition. You're right. never going to be able to honor that. You're never going to be able to fulfill the law of love as long as you are running away terrified of the diagnosis mm -hmm. that you have a sinful condition. Matter of fact, once you embrace that you have this sinful condition, you could just relax a little bit because now you're under therapy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is there uh, anything else that you would like to leave uh, our audience with? 
I would just like to close in prayer. I want to thank the Lord for this conversation. I want to thank the Lord for showing us ourselves. I want to thank him for his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. I want to thank him that we are overcomers by our testimony. I want to thank him that we are able to have a new mind in Christ, that with that new mind, old things are passed away. We don't have to be who we used to be. We don't even have to be who we were yesterday. We don't have to be who we were last hour. We can be changed because the blood of Christ never loses its power. It never loses its potency. It never loses its relevance. Amen. We don't have to be consumed by works. We don't have to be judged by our works, but because when we allow ourselves to be repented and be washed again, we can have the reputation of David going after God's heart. And in doing that and putting ourselves in that place, we are able to not be gaslit by the enemy because we are in therapy. We are able to understand the truth of who we are, that we are loved by our father, that we are overcomers, that we have an inheritance in heaven and that we have an abundant life on this earth. In Jesus name, that's it. Amen. Amen. Let's just uh, close out in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you, my God, for this conversation. We thank you, O oh God, for your visitation, O oh God. We thank you, O oh God, that you have given us, O oh God, your word. We thank you, O oh God, that you don't come to us to condemn us, my God. That's what your word says. Your word says that you have come to save us, my God. We thank you, O oh God, that you don't want us to realize our full potential in sin, but matter of fact, you want us to realize our full potential in your glory. We were made in your image, my God, and you are perfect and you are holy, my God, and we were made in this perfect and holy image, my God, to give you glory, my God, and there is another potential within us the potential of Christ. And there are so many things that we can do, Father, in the name of Jesus. Right now, Lord, break the stronghold of the can't do, my God, of of thinking about the gospel in terms of all the things that we cannot do. Oh, we can't do this and we can't do that. No, Lord, now we are free. We're free in Christ. There are so many things that we can do, my God. Open up our minds, my God, every day, oh Lord, for the things, oh God, that we can do. Give us, oh God, the strength, oh God, and the courage, oh God, to go before you, my God. Not be afraid, oh God, of the image that you present to us of all the things that we have to change, my God, but Lord, to wait expectantly for the thing, oh God, that you're going to do because your word says that he who began to go work will be faithful to complete it, my God. So the image that you give before me, my God, is not my final image, my God. You are bringing me, you are perfecting us, my God, into the image of Christ. And we thank you, my God, that you are a loving father. We thank you, oh God, that you are a faithful father. We thank you, oh God, that you are always there, faithfully ready to complete the work that you have begun now help us to be faithful to submit to that work my lord we thank you my god we give you all glory honor and praise in the name of jesus christ amen 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 love you and have a good week everyone